Well, I want to ask you to pray with me as we begin our Torah study. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech ha'olam, asher kidshanu b'mitzvotah v'tzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Today is the first day of Sukkot. It's a holiday to remember that God was with the children of Israel during the 40-year journey from slavery in Egypt to the Promised Land, the land of Israel, the time when the children of Israel lived in temporary dwellings in the wilderness. We read about celebrating Sukkot in a number of places. I want to share with you from Leviticus 23, verse 40, and you can turn there or you can flip there. And just saying that, reminding us that we can turn in our Bibles, it helps me remember when, when I first became a follower of Yeshua and I was learning all the different places in the Bible and where the books were. And uh, I had grown up in our synagogue in, in Roanoke, Virginia, but I had to learn about where different books were that I wasn't familiar with that were part of the Jewish Bible, plus where the New Testament scriptures were. And so I would, I had my Bible with me and I would look when people were turning and I'd look at how far they turned. And that was a clue to me. It's like, I, I can find this book if I turn sort of that far and then start looking. So whatever it takes to find the scriptures, it's good to do it. And if you need to sit with someone who knows where the scriptures are, sit with them, and it's useful to learn. Leviticus 23, verse 40 says, On the first day of Sukkot, take hold of branches from magnificent trees, palm fronds, boughs from leafy trees, and willows that grow by the streams, and then celebrate with joy before the Lord your God for seven days. So this is where we get the tradition of waving the lulav and the etrog, taking hold of the palm fronds and the leafy boughs together with the citron or the etrog in Hebrew, and waving them as part of our joyful celebration. And today we're going to have the opportunity to wave the lulav and etrog. I hope you can join us for that. And everyone who wants will have the opportunity to wave the lulav and etrog. We'll guide everyone, including first-timers and new folks, and we'll help you with the simple Hebrew blessings and help you with the traditional style of waving the lulav. There, there are some wonderful ways of doing it. You can add your own little pizzazz to it as well, your personal touch. It's part of our joyful celebration. Sukkot is also called... Zaman Simchatenu. You can say that after me. Zaman Simchatenu. Zaman means season, and Simchatenu means of our joy. When a word in Hebrew ends in the new sound, N double O or N U, long U, it means our. And so it's Zaman Simchatenu, the season of our joy. It's a time of simple joy in the spirit of that scripture we just read in Leviticus 23, verse 40. 
you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. You shall rejoice. So one of the ways that you celebrate Sukkot is by being joyful. And that comes natural to some people, and it's difficult for other people. If you were raised in a sourpuss family, it may be hard for you. And if you think nothing is, is serious and religious unless you look somber, then it may be difficult for you, but I want to tell you this, you can get over that. And uh, anyone who grew up in a sourpuss family, you know what I mean by sourpuss, don't you? I haven't used that word in probably 50 years, but it's a good word where all you can show on your face is sourness. Yeah. If that's part of your past, you can be healed. And my hope for you on this code is that you make it the season, your season of joy before the Lord, the season of your joy, the season that you, ex when you experience joy yourself and joy that you share with others. So it's one thing to consider it the season of somebody else's joy, but it's another thing altogether to enter into it and to participate so that it becomes the season of your joy. So it's the first day of Sukkot, and it's a time to remember the children of Israel dwelled in Sukkot, or booths, or tabernacles, or huts, or shacks. Those are different ways of translating it. And we can put ourselves into the story. It's a good idea, because Sukkot can help us remember when we had nothing or almost nothing. Times when God was with us, even though we had very little. Sukkot also helps us remember that our people were slaves, and we identify with that. We remember because it's important for us never to forget that we were slaves, but we're not slaves anymore. And we are free now to serve the Lord and not to serve a tyrant. And we can use those memories to strengthen our own mercy and our compassion so that we show kindness and we act justly towards others, towards the immigrant, the poor, the oppressed. Sukkot helps us remember where we came from. We came from Egypt, where we were slaves. And we are, therefore, an immigrant people who had been enslaved, and the Lord was with us, and he brought us out of slavery. And so in this way, Sukkot connects with Passover and with the Exodus, because we are understanding that after the Exodus, the new freedom meant the children of Israel had to start all over again, and new freedom means new beginnings. And new beginnings means starting over. How many can identify with starting over? And you may have had many times in your life where you started over. This may be one of those times. So you're right on time because Sukkot is a time to help us experience the simple joys of life even when we're starting over. When you don't have much and when you don't have anything, even when you're broke as broke can be, 
you can still experience the simple joys of life. And if you can remember being broke, can anybody remember being broke? It's not the same as being poor. Being poor is kind of a mentality. It's like a permanent way of thinking. Being broke just means you're broke. But you don't have to stay broke. And the children of Israel, if you think about it, in some ways in Egypt were broke, and in some ways in the wilderness for 40 years were broke, but they were taught to look to the Lord and to understand something that he was with them anyway and that they could rejoice anyway. So Sukkot is a wonderful time to remember when you had nothing or almost nothing, or it's a wonderful time to remember when you had to start all over again. And if you're in the middle of the nothing and you're in the middle of starting all over again, it's wonderful to remember that your experience is common to the children of Israel. And we learn that there is a way through that to the other side. So Sukkot helps us remember when we have begun a new journey or when we're in new stages or seasons of life. And just to remind you of how that can work, because it works in all different periods of life. Maybe you remember this being in junior high school and being in the oldest class in junior high school. And then you get old enough that you, you go to the high school. And then you're the youngest. And the older kids let you know that every day. Does anybody have memories of that? You see, there are different seasons when you're, you're brand new and then you get experienced. And just when you think you're fully experienced, then it's time for a new season where you're new all over again. And you're starting, in a sense, all over again. So Sukkot helps us remember that and to have a good attitude about it so that we don't think we're going to be stuck in that condition. We will go through times and through seasons. And Sukkot helps us remember this. God is with us even when we have nothing to show for ourselves. Our Jewish holidays like Passover and Sukkot help us remember. They help us pass on these memories to receive them, experience them, and then pass them on to our children and to our children's children too. So Sukkot helps us remember when we had nothing, but God was with us. That's very important, especially in our day, but it's been important, I think, in most times in the world. Most people associate materiality, materialism, with blessing. And they feel if they've got a lot of stuff, then they're doing fine. And if they don't have much stuff, they're not. But many people don't realize that Stuff is not the same as having God with you. And Sukkot is a way that God teaches us this. When all we had to live in were tents and Sukkot and shacks, if you will, the Lord was with us. In fact, 
He teaches us to remember that he told us to live this way on the journey and to have this sense of uh, being temporary and being transitional, to remember that, to take that to heart. He wanted us as a nation to learn that so that we would never forget that God can be with us no matter what our material circumstances are. We want to develop generosity. And Sukkot helps us develop the vision to be cheerful and to be generous. And I find that it's useful to remember other people who showed kindnesses to us during difficult times. People who helped and people who were kind. It's, it's good to remember them and recall them and thank the Lord for them. We want to develop generosity in our spirits and in our hearts and in our minds and in our actions. Gratitude and generosity go together. We can become generous with our time and with our resources, our finances, all that we have. Sukkot helps us become cheerful. Sukkot helps us have this attitude, it's not how much stuff I have, I can be cheerful anyway. And I can tell you, some people have a lot of stuff and they're not happy. Some people are extremely wealthy and extremely miserable. Some people are just vicious and cruel and they claw their way to the top and they do unthinkable things and they get all the money and all the power that they can and they're still miserable. Difficult times, let me tell you can produce hopeful people. Hard times don't have to produce hard hearts. So if you're going through a hard time, understand this, God brings us through tough times. And we can develop a more hopeful, optimistic but not Pollyannish view about life. There can be uncertainty all around us, and yet we hold on to God, we hold on to the good news, and we remember the, the spirit of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. It says this, Yet God has made everything beautiful in its own time. God has made everything beautiful in its own time. That's right. That's right. Let's be honest. That doesn't mean everything's beautiful all the time. But we know this, the world that God has given us is not ultimately ruled by death or destruction or by chaos or disorder or by atrophy. They do not have the last word. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says it so clearly. Paul is talking and he says, I'm convinced. I like that expression of certainty. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor principalities, neither the present nor the future, 
nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Messiah, our Lord. God is for us, and he brings us through even difficult times and great challenges into the beauty of his purposes. And I hope that your heart already knows this, because if you want to be a a real son of Abraham or a daughter of Sarah, remember this and what the scriptures say about them, they hoped against hope. And they persevered in trusting the Lord. They didn't waver. Even though it's impossible to know all the details about how things are going to work out, God will accomplish good for us. Now, it, I know this about myself. It may be true about you. There are times when I think things aren't going to work out. How many of you ever have those thoughts? And then I have this idea about how they might work out. And I start feeling better. Does anybody ever have that experience? Now, let me tell you the truth. Sometimes I imagine how things are going to work out, and it makes me feel better. But that's not what happens. What happens is something better works out that I didn't imagine. And so I've learned something. It's useful to imagine good things working out. It makes us feel a little better, but it's not necessarily clear that that's the future. None of us can perfectly know the future. We take comfort when we think about what's good. In the same way, we get more miserable when we only concentrate and focus on what's not good. Romans 8, 28. God does cause all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so the love of God is essential, but embracing his purposes and and organizing your life and accepting the priorities that come from seeing his purposes and making them our purposes This is a key for things working together for good. When we remember all of these things, it makes us strong. Sometimes we have another attitude. We think, if I can just get through this and put it behind me and forget this ever happened. We think that about difficulties. If I can just forget about it, I'll be okay. But there's another way of looking at life, and that is when you go through a difficulty and you do get through it and you're on the other side, you look at everything and say, God, help me, and I made it through. There are times when you might not know how you're going to make it through, but never forget, God will not abandon you even in the most difficult of times. And we, when we remember this, it makes us stronger, I think. It is true that hard times are hard. Who can confirm that? That's why they call them hard times. 
That's why we say it's, these are hard times because they're hard. But I want to tell you something. The best of times are not necessarily the easiest of times. The best of times are, in fact, the times when we experience the grace of God and the shalom of God and the presence of God no matter what the circumstances are. Let me remind you about how fickle our hearts can be. Have you ever been doing just fine and then you hear about something and you lose your peace? Anybody? I know I'm not the only one. Have you ever had the experience of just being peaceful for a long time, for days and weeks, even months, and then you hear something, and you just start feeling miserable? That's an example of how fickle the heart is. It's why some people think ignorance is bliss. I just don't want to know. Because when I know something, it makes me feel miserable. But there's another way of looking at things, and that is you know it, and you bring it to the Lord, and you understand that he is still the sovereign, he is still the king of kings, he is still the Lord of lords, he still is watching over your future, he is still with you in good times, in hard times, and what makes the best of times are when it's not the circumstances that bring us joy, but it's the joy of having life together with the Lord and with one another, with those we love and care about. The best times are the times that end well. I've learned from experience it's much better that things start out rough and end good than it is that they start out good and then just end rough. But I think that hard times prove that God knows the beginning and the end. He makes everything beautiful in its time and for its time. And it helps us put certain parts of our past behind us and then experience the good of the things that we have gone through and remembering it well, remembering that we made it through. We made it through. The worry that the children of Israel had on the Egyptian side of the Red Sea changed when, they, when the sea opened and the children of Israel went through at the Lord's miraculous command and they got to the other side and then they saw the Egyptian army destroyed. And they got to the other side and they started singing about the Lord and how great he is and how he's awesome in praises and he's doing wonders. He's doing wonders. He's making wonders. And it's important to remember when you get to the other side, you're on the other side. And so you don't have to feel exactly the way you felt before you got to the other side, before things were settled. When God brings you into the time and the moment when the situation is beautiful, 
rejoice in that. That's part of what Sukkot is teaching us, how to remember and how to experience not just the past, but how to experience the present and how to experience the future. This can build us up when we remember that God is with us. If you're going through a hard time, I want to tell you, the time is hard. Don't pretend like it's not. But God is still with you, and he's watching over you, and he will watch over you, and he will do everything he can, which is more than you could ask or imagine, to make sure that the good purposes that he has in mind are fully accomplished, and that a day is not cut short that he has appointed for you. And I think when we remember that God was with us even during the hard times, it builds us up to anticipate what's ahead. Even when we know that what's ahead has challenges and difficulties and uncertainties. Have you ever thought, if I could only get through this, it'll, life will be fine? And then you do get through it, and you're so glad. And then you find out later, there's another thing to get through. Anybody besides me go through this? I'm just trying to see what kind of people you are, whether I'm strange or you're strange too, or whether we're like each other in this respect. When we understand, we will go through difficulty and we'll get through it. And we will then have that joy, and then there'll be another challenge ahead of us. And we'll get through that too. We want to be the kind of people that rejoice regardless of the circumstance, regardless of which side we're on in the time frame. Is it before? Is it after? Is it in the middle? We want to learn how to enter into the hope that God has for us. Now, the hope of God also allows us to cry out to the Lord and to be sad at times of mourning. But we don't just give up when God has brought us through. We learn to be resilient. And I think all of this strengthens our sense of kadima. You know what kadima means. Forward. Romans 4.24 gives us some simple instruction. Don't forget the riches of Messiah of his kindness, his forbearance, his patience. And remember that it is God's kindness that was meant to lead you to turn around and return to the Lord and live for him. So Mishpachah, we're called. We are called to a life of humility and a life of service. And humility doesn't mean we have no worth or value, or we have no strength or good qualities. Humility means we use our strengths and our power in service to the Lord and to lift other people up. And humility means we always remember that God has demonstrated humility for us. Yeshua said about himself that he came as one who waits on Does anybody know? He came as one who waits on tables. He came as a servant. He came as one who waits on tables. 
the eternal Lord made himself small and dwelt within a humble human body himself. And then even after his sacrificial death, even after his resurrection, even after his return to heaven, he continued in his humility. Every time the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in a human heart, it's a demonstration of his humility. Do you know what your heart is like? We all do. We all know we, we're pretty dark inside, pretty shabby when you think about it. And yet the Lord chooses to make our heart into a little sanctuary for us. How so? Because of his humility. God dwelling with us, God with us, God even within us, God going with us, God going ahead of us, him leading us, him accompanying us, him being our rear guard. In all these ways, the Lord proves to us that he's with us. And so the celebration of Sukkot is, is a great time to remember all that the Lord has done and all that the Lord is doing and all that the Lord will do. The holiday of Sukkot is timed for the completion of the fall harvest in Israel. We read about that in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 13. You shall celebrate the Feast of Booths, Chag Sukkot, seven days after you have gathered in from your threshing floor and your wine vat. So this is after the 40 years uh, in the wilderness because they weren't participating in harvests in the wilderness. And you shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter and your male and female servants and the Levite and the stranger and the orphan and the widow who are in your towns. Seven days you're to celebrate a feast to the Lord your God in the place which the Lord chooses because the Lord your God will bless you in your produce and this. Because a lot of us are not agriculturalists or farmers or even gardeners these days, in all the work of your hands. So that, repeat after me, so that, so that your joy will be complete. Tell the person sitting next to you, God wants your joy to be complete. So recognize the blessings upon the works of your hands. It helps us learn to give thanks when we've received everything and when we are getting ready to receive. But at the end of the harvest, we thank the Lord for all he's done. And look at the significance of the who's who that's mentioned here. Jews and Gentiles. Young and old. Sons and daughters, moms and dads, male and female, orphans and widows, even Levites and immigrants, all of us together. And so it's wonderful for us to anticipate, based on the scriptures, what Sukkot has meant and what it will mean in the future. 
The prophet Zechariah wrote about intense anti-Semitism and opposition to Israel in the future with horrible attacks by other nations. But I want to tell you this, God will have the last word. Zechariah 12 describes a concerted international effort to destroy Israel and the Jewish people. And yet God defends Israel and Jewish hearts are humbled before God and spiritual eyes are opened in amazing ways. Here it is described in verse 10 of Zechariah chapter 12. The Lord says, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. Supplication means being able to pray from the depths of one's heart, not just for oneself, but for the benefit of others. And then pay close attention to this. And they will look on me, the one they have pierced. So the Lord says they'll look on me, the one they've pierced. And they'll mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. And so the prophet is telling us that our people will look upon the Lord, the one they've pierced, and the question is, how's that possible? And the answer is, the spiritual eyes will be opened to see that the one who was pierced was the Lord, Messiah, Yeshua, and will mourn and will grieve for what was done to him. You see, hard times can actually produce soft hearts for Jewish people, but also for the nations. God promises to defend Israel from the hatred and the attacks of her enemies. And here's the amazing thing. Hashem's defense of Israel will somehow soften those who violently attacked and hated Israel and the Jewish people. In Zechariah chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, then it will come about that any who are left of all the nations that came against Jerusalem, they will go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the Feast of Sukkot. This is so interesting because the, the name and description, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of battalions, Adonai Tsevaot, the Lord of armies, is a description of the Lord mightily defeating the violence of the nations against the Jewish people and against Jerusalem. And God will so work in such a way that those who were defeated will humble themselves to worship the king and to celebrate the feast of Sukkot. And it will be that whichever the families of the earth does not go up to Jerusalem for Sukkot to worship the king, the Lord of armies, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. It's an amazing description. The nations that come against Jerusalem will start coming to Jerusalem. The ones who wanted to defeat, who wanted to defeat and get rid of the Jewish people are coming to worship with the Jewish people to worship the king in Jerusalem and celebrate Sukkot. So in this way, Sukkot is like a continuation of Rosh Hashanah, which celebrates the kingship of the Lord. 
and the kingship of the Lord will be established, the Lord Messiah. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9, Stephen A. Bush read this as part of his Bar Mitzvah Haftorah. And he read it again today, celebrating the anniversary. The Lord will be king over all the earth, and on that day the Lord will be one and his name one. This is the scripture that is the inspiration and the content of the passage in the Siddur. It's not really a prayer, it's a prophetic scripture that's read with faith. V'ne'emar, it has been prophesied. V'haya Adonai l'melech kol ha'aretz b'yom ha'hu, in that day, yiyeh Adonai echad, the Lord will be one, u'shmo echad, and his name one. So here we are celebrating Sukkot for ourselves, but we're anticipating a future. And this is not just Messianic Jews and Messianic congregations anticipating a future. This is Jewish people all over the world saying, there's coming a day when the name of the Lord will be one. It's a beautiful day. So here's what I think. God's kingship, which we proclaim at Rosh Hashanah, our accountability to God the Most High, which we acknowledge during Yom Kippur. They're all united in Sukkot with his redemptive mercy and our joyful response. Don't weep and don't mourn today. Today is a good day. Today is a day to celebrate. This week is a great time to look forward to the amazing purposes of God, the promised return of Messiah, and life everlasting with the Lord. So may you be blessed, this Sukkot, with humility and with hope and with shalom and with expectation and with abundant joy and cheerfulness. Let's pray, Lord, thank you for all the good you've done for us. We honor you with our personal gratitude and our thanksgiving and with our joy. And we declare the joy of the Lord is our strength. Thank you, Lord, that your joy makes us strong. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, for those who have been joining us by live stream on Facebook or on YouTube, thanks for being with us. We're going to end the live stream in just a moment. And then those of you who are in the sanctuary, please remain here. We're going to have just a few minutes to go over some of the, um, some of the things we need to cover about the lulav and the etrog. And then we're going to go outside and we're going to participate in that together. <clears throat> so we're going to stand up right now and close with Aaron's blessing. And those of you who are online, would you consider standing with us financially? You can get all the information at our webpage, bethisraelnow.com slash giving. I know Aaron does this. I'm going to do it today. Well, I thank you. Right to you. Thank you.
Thank you, David. You've got a double portion of David's here. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha, ye'er Adonai p'navelecha v'chimnecha, yisa Adonai p'navelecha v'yisemlecha, shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen.